Well, good morning to you. This morning, I want us to continue with our series on Walk This Way. This series was going to be a short one. Uh, this number's six. And then next week, we should be able to finish, and it'll be number, number seven. Uh, good in math. I figured that out all by myself. But Walk This Way, part six. We started talking about walk this way by walking in the Spirit. Walk this way as children of light. Walk this way in love. Walk this way as imitators of God. Walk this way as understanding and knowing your calling in Christ Jesus. In the Spirit, in love, as imitators of God, worthy of your calling. And this morning, we're going to look at circumspectly. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. We are to walk circumspectly. We learned last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, tells, tells us that we're to walk as the fragrance of Christ in every place. That's... That's what God expects us as we live our lives, as we come in contact with other people, that not only are we representing God, but we're to walk as the, free, the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure if this series has been a blessing to you, but folks, i got to tell you, I cannot remember a series that has been more humbling, more convicting, or any more of a blessing than what this series, this series has been in my life. I, it has been such, such a blessing. Don't know if it has for you, but boy, I'll tell you what, I've learned so much as we've gone through looking at each one of those, those instructions. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But as we search the Scriptures, there are absolute imperatives that our righteous, holy God expects of us as believers. Last week, we talked about a lot of the do-nots. Do not. And it's very clear. This morning, I'm going to look at a whole bunch of the do's. They're much more fun. They're much more positive of the things that we are to do. This first one is we are to walk circumspectly. Verse 16, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word circumspectly is an interesting word. Sometimes it might be translated cautiously, and it does mean cautiously. Uh, the word circumspectly may carry with it the idea, and it does to make sure you understand what your surroundings are. Uh, it, it does. But it carries a, a much greater meaning when you understand that it talks about walk uh, accurately. You're to walk precisely, assiduously. I like that word. Assiduously. It means showing great care marked by unremitting attention to the details. That's how we are to walk 
as believers in the Lord Jesus. Understanding what's going, around, going, around, going on around us. Aware, but more than just aware. Recognizing the days in which we live. And God's word says they're evil. So you can read a newspaper and know what's going on in the world. But you need to read your Bible to know why that's going on in the world. Makes a big, big difference. The newspaper will tell you what's happening. The Bible will tell you why it's happening. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be aware that we walk circumspectly, not as fools. When you think of a fool, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the first characteristic of a fool is the fact that they do not believe there is a God. We're not to walk as fools. We are to walk as wise men. And you say, well, I lack wisdom. Well, we know what God's Word tells us. If any man lack wisdom, what is he to do? Ask God who gives liberally that, that wisdom. So we're to walk not as fools, not as those who say there is no God. But we need to walk aware that we have enemies. We need to walk aware that the enemy's tactics are to destroy our testimony, but they can't destroy God's Word. The, the enemy's tactics is based on the world system that basically says that Man himself is God. That man thinks he's God, that he calls the shots. The world system is at enmity with God. So the world system that either hates God or thinks he's God, and by the way, that started in the garden. I mean, the lie that, that Satan used at the very beginning was basically here, eat this, and you'll be as the gods. And it's like, well, that's what we want, is to be as the gods. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, and that's, that's the world system in which we live, and we need to recognize that the world's tactic is to take human population and take them where they do not focus on who the true and living God is, but who the God of this world is, and that is Satan. And at this point, Satan doesn't even care if you don't really worship him at this point. He, he's going to move into that during the tribulation. But he don't mind that you go ahead and think. I'm talk, when I say you, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about mankind. He doesn't care that man thinks, hey, I'm God. I can figure this all out. I'm in control. He just, you just keep thinking that. He says, you just keep believing that. See, that's the way the world system works. Man functions under the premise, lost man functions under the premise that he calls the shots 
And he hates anyone, anyone who says, no, 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 no. There is someone else who is in charge here. And mankind will go, no, no, no. I'm the one that's in charge here. I'm the one who calls the shots. Wisdom is recognizing that there is a spiritual warfare that is raging. When you watch the news, when you open your newspaper, you understand that what's happening on the world scene today is a gigantic spiritual battle. And I got to tell you, it has more... It's, yes, there's a battle raging that's destructive in Israel. Yes, it's a powder keg all around the world between... Uh, uh, Judaism and Islam and Christianity, I mean, that, that's all in the mix. And it's destructive. It's dangerous. But that's only one aspect of this spiritual warfare that's raging. And I'll guarantee you the, the, the point that to be made is that there's a warfare between humanism and Christianity. A warfare that man says he's God and we who say, no, you're, mankind's not God. We recognize that there is a true and living God who is in control, who directs our way. So that spiritual warfare is raging. Next week, we're going to talk more in detail about that. Because it takes something. Once you recognize that spiritual warfare, you know what it takes? And we better have strapped on. We better have bolted, uh, belted, and that's the armor of God. Amen. The, whole, the whole armor of God, not just pieces of it. And I think that's part of the problem with Christianity today is so many churches will take part of it. But God's Word says we need to strap on the entire, the whole armor of God to be effective in this spiritual battle. So we're going to talk more about that next week. But we are to walk circumspectly, understanding what is going on from a biblical perspective. We can identify the issues, speak to those issues, preach to those issues, warn to those issues. That's why God's Word says walk cautiously, walk aware of what's going on. And the only way you can do that is through understanding God's Word, being aware of what God's Word tells us during this time. Why? Well, the next verse kind of goes on to tell us. Redeeming the time, verse 16, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Not just simply recognizing the times in which we live, but redeeming the time. Buying up, purchasing completely the time that we have left to do what? to proclaim the gospel to the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's redeeming the time. That's recognizing what's going on in this world. That's recognizing all of the issues, all of the chaos, everything that's happening affects every single human being, and either they are saved or they're lost. And we need to recognize and redeem that time, take full advantage of the time we have left, understanding what John put out there on our board. This is now is the day of salvation. I hope the neighborhood sees that. 
I hope the neighborhood understands that that's not just a little cute saying or slogan. That's God's word saying, now is the day of salvation because there's going to come a time when God's grace, God's mercy is not going to be poured out the way it is right now, but the, the day of the Lord is going to take place. And folks, when that happens, believe me, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. But right now, salvation is by God's grace, by simply, simply, simply believing that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again, that he was delivered for your offenses, he was raised again for your justification. Now is the day of salvation because that's what you believe in order to be saved, in order to be made a new creation redeeming the time, using what time we have left to preach that truth to a world that's lost and needs to hear so desperately. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul could say that back then, and guess what? We can say that today. We can say that today. Recognizing that today is the day of salvation. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise. So don't be foolish. Don't waste the time that we have, church. Don't waste the resources that we have now, church. Don't waste the opportunity we have now to share the gospel of the grace of God. Don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And that fits exactly with walking circumspectly. That walks perfectly or that fits perfectly with redeeming the times. Because what is the will of God according to that context? Well, he tells young Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy. Chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what we need to realize, folks. What a save my place. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, then verse 6. What is God's will? Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? That's God's will. Redeem the times for the days are, are evil. Don't walk unwise. But understand what the will of God is. The will of God is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Well, don't you think it's due time that that message got out? It's been going on for 2,000 plus years and it's needed today as much as ever that a world needs to hear that Christ died for them. We're buried. He was buried and he rose again and he is willing and able and capable of saving them to the uttermost. Boy, people today need to be taught. They need to hear that hell is hot, that it's hot, it's eternal, 
I saw someplace this week that uh, everyone in hell wishes they could hear that now is the time to repent. There will not be a soul in hell that won't be wishing, wishing they could repent. That won't be possible. It's the will of God that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? That Christ died for their sins, was buried, and he rose again. And by his gift is eternal life to all who believe. What a, what a plan of salvation. So we walk circumspectly. We walk knowing what's going on. We're aware of what's going on. We know how dangerous it is. We walk as those who are wise. If we lack wisdom, we ask of God. He gives to all men liberally. We understand what's at stake. And so we work until he calls us home. What's getting, which is getting closer every single day. Amen. Verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is trying to tell us is there needs to be an obvious, obvious distinction between the world and how we walk. It's all about control. Our walking in the Spirit should be obvious to everyone should be obvious to everyone. You ever watched a drunkard walk? Is there any doubt? That's what he's saying. Be not drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. A drunkard walks, and they bump, and they stumble, and they bumble, and people go, they're drunk. And you can smell them. And we already talked about we're to be the fragrance of Christ. See, we're to smell different. We're to walk different. We're to act different. We're to behave different. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it is going to be absolutely obvious to those people with whom we come in contact. And the next verse tells what's going on so that it is obvious. Be ye filled with the Spirit, semicolon. Hey, his thought wasn't finished. The Holy Spirit was moving on Paul to go ahead and make sure verse 19 was there. To be filled with the Spirit, how do we do? What do we do? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what God's Word calls us to do. How do people know that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, living, empowering by our actions? Some of those actions to show that we've been made a new creation is the fact that we have a new song that just comes bubbling out, that we just can't contain ourselves. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You notice a while ago, Diane couldn't remain seated. 
when that song. I saw her get up and I could tell. I, Tom would have had to just taken both hands and pushed her down and sat on her to keep her from standing up while ago. She was speaking to herself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the attitude of gratitude that just becomes so overpowering is an indication that the Holy Spirit controls and moves just as it's so obvious when a man is stumbling, bumbling, drunk. We see the evidence in a believer's life. And Paul tells, here's what we're to do. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And you know what? When you do that, you know what follows that? What's the next thing? Let me tell you what it's not. There's not grumbling. It's not complaining. It's not belly aching. It is giving of thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what comes. Talk about an attitude of gratitude. Giving thanks always for all things. Now, I've, I've talked to people before and they'll say, well, pastor, for all things, you can't. No, it's not talking about thanking God for evil things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, tells us that we're to thank God in all things. Yeah, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. God's word is clear. We're to give thanks in all things, regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of what you are dealing with right now, regardless of what you are facing, how difficult the situation is. God's word says that we're to give thanks in all things. You know why? Because we have that promise from God that He has begun His work in us and we can be certain that what's going on in our lives is God's way of molding, shaping, directing, and, and conforming us to the image of His Son. That's something worth praising God over. And I think personally, we can give thanks for all things. Now, what that's not saying is if all of a sudden Tony gets called to a fire and, well, we thank God for that fire. No, that's not what it's saying. But Tony can thank God. Well, anything that happens in our lives personally, Lord, we thank you for this because we know that it's you working, directing, and guiding. See, when you thank God for all things that's happening to you, and in all things, what you're saying loud and clear is that we know that all things work together for good to them who are the called, to them who love the Lord Jesus, who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28, we, we believe that. And I just butchered that verse. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's... That's what you're saying. Lord, this is not comfortable. Lord, this is painful. Lord, this is sorrowful. Lord, I am grieving. But Lord, I know that I belong to you 
And what is going on is only going to give you an opportunity to mold and shape and direct and to do your work to conform me to the image. That's what God is doing. And the only time I think you really recognize that is when you are being... You understand, you're filled with the Spirit, and you're speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's your attitude, and that propels you to be able to give thanks. That, that pushes you into that attitude. See, it's hard to come away from a Lester concert grumbling, <laughs> prove me wrong. This Saturday. I've never left a Lester concert. I've never really left here. Worshiping with you people. Fellowshipping with you people. Grumbling. My stomach might be, but I'm not. <laughs> See, that needs to be the attitude that we have. Submitting yourselves. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. See, you you can only really submit yourselves one to another if you're rejoicing in Christ and, and you're doing what the Bible says, you're giving thanks. And I think the key to a healthy church, the key to a growing church, to a vibrant church, and when I say growing church, I'm not necessarily talking about numbers. I'm talking about where each individual is growing in Christ the numbers will take care of themselves. I'm talking about where you are growing in the, your wisdom and your understanding of God's Word. But when a church is doing that is when they are submitting, subjecting themselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. They understand we're in this together. We're going to spend eternity together. We need to love on one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to support one another. We don't need to criticize one another. I put that verse right next to Philippians chapter 2. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Because I think this, this verse explains it just a little more. Verse 3. We'll start with verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. And let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things or his own interests, but every man also on the things or the interest of others. And verse 5 says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Talking, and it goes on to talk about the Lord's humbling. Submitting ourselves to one another, each person thinking of the other person before themselves, higher than themselves. See, then there's no room for bickering. There's no room for squabbling. There's no room for fighting. It's what God's Word tells us, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. That brings us down to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. 
Oh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Verse 22. Probably the two most attacked doctrinal truths to come out of a church. One is that there's only one way to God. When we preach that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him, the world goes, that's not true. There are many ways. Well, no, there's not. There's only one way. That's through Christ. And the world, unfortunately, is going to find that out soon. The other one is, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Uh-uh. Say it's not so. <laughs> Folks, i got to preach what God's Word says. But, I, but as I get into this, and Tony Janet was shaking her head, so it's okay. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Women, you're not to submit yourselves unto anybody else's husband. That's not saying, men, you're over women, do this and this. That's not what that's saying. But there is a chain of command in a godly household. And wives, you are to submit yourselves unto, unto your husband even as Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body, wives, you are to submit yourselves unto your own husband. Unto your own husband. Husbands, you have an even higher responsibility. I think it's interesting that, well, women always go first, should be. So wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, and that's true, and I don't apologize. I don't apologize for preaching that the husband is the head of the home. He's the head of the wife. And the wife needs to understand that and live accordingly because that's what God can bless. But husbands, are you sitting down? Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially, giving. Do you think the Lord Jesus won't what's bad for his body? That's what this is picturing. This is picturing Christ is the head, we are the body. Just like a husband and wife are one flesh, it pictures that body truth. That's what all this is, is about. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for, for it.
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, without fault. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. That's a pretty tall order. That's directly from the Scripture. That's God's way of expressing the relationship, husbands, you have with your wives. You're married to them. Amen? You have made a commitment to them. You have made vows to them. God expects you to carry out those vows with love, with purpose, with sacrifice. And you know, here's what happens. I have found the more that I love my wife. And she's sitting back there so you can, you can ask her. I have found that the more I love my wife, the more she is willing to be submissive. And the, it gets to the point where I, I don't even have to ask. She's submissive. And she loves to be submissive. Because as a godly wife and a godly mother and a godly woman, she knows what God expects. The Holy Spirit lives within her. So as I love her, she is so much more submissive. And you know, as she is more, is more submissive, it just makes me love her that much more. See, God has it worked out in that fashion. And the more that I love her, the more submissive she is. It's like this morning. I was going over my notes, and I was sitting in the recliner, and it was raining outside. And she brought me a cup of coffee. She didn't have to do that. She could have said, hey, lazy, get up. Get this coffee. Get your own coffee. I got things to do. But she brought me that cup of coffee and it was steaming and it was so good. And as she turned and walked back toward the kitchen, I thought, oh, I love that woman. Slurp, slurp. I, just, I love that woman. And the more that, uh, I didn't tell her then, I'm telling her now. The, the more that, that's just the way God has it worked out. That's the way God honors it. If you don't believe me, try it. Try it. There is no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind that there have been times in 52 years that she has had to pray, Lord, help me to be submissive to that man. There's, there is no doubt. Don't ask her, but I'm, there's no doubt. She's had to pray about being submissive. But she does pray. And God honors that prayer. Guess what? In 52 years, you know what I've had to pray? 
Lord, help me to love that woman the way you love your church. Lord, help me to love her the way you love your body. And you know what God does? He answers that prayer. He answers that prayer. The way that God wants us to walk in this world that rejects God is as a testimony, as a witness that He is God and a relationship with Him works and He honors it as we're walking circumspectly, as we're walking in the Spirit, as we're walking in all of those fashions. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Try it. You'll like it. God will honor it. You'll be blessed by it. That's the way God works. Our Christian walk, our Christian testimony, nothing screams our relationship with God more than our marriages, more than our families, more than our families. Next week, we're going to continue just a little bit of that. Ephesians 6 1 talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's what we're children. You're supposed to do that. That's one of the reasons I'm glad we, we didn't have junior church this morning. So, mamas, shake them, wake them. It's what God's word says children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, that is the first commandment with what? Promise. And what is the promise? You're going to live a long time on earth. Wow. So you'd think it'd be the easiest thing in the world to do. Amen? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That was the very first scripture verse we taught our kids. Very first one. One's 44, the other one's almost 50, and we still make him quote it every morning. No. <laughs> Fortunately, we don't have to. We don't have to. It goes on to say, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Next week, we're going to start with exactly what does that indicate. And then we're going to move into putting on the whole armor of God. Because I definitely believe not provoking our children to wrath, treating those who work with us uh, in a godly manner, all of those things fit with putting on the whole armor of God. And folks, you better be strapping it on. We're in a spiritual warfare right now, and it's only going to get ramped up. Are we ready? Are we ready? Let's bow in prayer. Father, 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for how clearly it tells us how we should walk. But Father, we get to be so foolish sometimes. We get to be so disobedient. We get to be so clumsy with our testimony that we don't do what your word says. Father, we don't even know your word. Father, move on our hearts, our responsibility, the, the obligation we have as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ to know your word and be able to not only apply it, but to know how we are to apply it and to rightly divide it. Father, how important that is. Help us to be students. Father, may our heart's desire be not just to show up and fellowship on a Sunday morning, but Father, live each and every day, every minute, every hour, every second of every day, serving you, understanding who we are as members of the body of Christ and living our lives in such a way that it just screams, it bellows. Oh, how we love Jesus, that we love to tell that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Now, Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted Christ, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's trusting in their own works, they're trusting in, in their own deeds, they're trusting in anything other than what Christ did on Calvary's cross, on His work for salvation. Father, may the Holy Spirit just move to convict them that they can't possibly do it. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior, and we believe that with all of our heart. Now, Father, I thank you for every person who's here this morning. I thank you for their home. Thank you for their families. I thank you for their desire to know you and to serve you. Father, Awaken us to the truth of your word and the urgency of sharing the gospel. We pray all these things in Christ's most precious and wonderful and glorious name. Amen.